It's good to be with you here in the house. It's good to be here with you in your house. And uh, James chapter one really sets the foundation for the coming uh, three chapters of James, and, or the coming chapters of James. And in that, um, it's kind of like Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, the epistle, epistle of Ephesians, uh, the first three chapters kind of set the thinking. It establishes theology, and it's out of right thinking, it's out of right theology that the, the three remaining chapters of Ephesians are built. That's the doing part. Right thinking drives right doing and being for the Lord's glory. And I think James is very much like that. In fact, James beat Paul to the game because he wrote his letter first. And so we really have this foundation being set that Karen just read for us. And that's why we spent five weeks in the one chapter. It's important that we get ourselves grounded in chapter one. In fact, let me just do a little bit of a summary on uh, the last five Sundays that we had in James. We began with being God's people in our knowing. In those early, vo- in those early verses, it was understand this, uh, trials are tests of faith. Tests of faith produce steadfastness in you, and steadfastness compounded upon itself effects maturity. And that's what the Lord loves, increasing maturity in Christ. And so it is out of that thinking that we count all trials joy as we talked about, in our knowing. And then the next Sunday was being as people in our boasting. We don't boast, we don't braggadocia on ourselves. It's not what it's about. We're boasting rightly in the Lord for who we are before the Lord and in the Lord. And then the third Sunday was in our remaining. Remain steadfast under trial. It's that continuing idea that Paul, or I'm sorry, James grabs a hold of and he comes back to and it's like, listen, trials are real and we're to remain in those trials so that we can get all that God would have out of those trials, maturity and including the crown of life. And then uh, the next was in our exchanging. Uh, As we're growing in Christ, maturing in Christ, that includes this reality the text and the language talks about, like take off the filthy, grimy clothes, sin, and put it away. Don't just like hang it back in the closet for another day, but throw it away. And don't just be no stop doing people, be replacing people. We're to put off and we are to put on a righteousness more like Christ, exchanging. And then uh, the other Sunday was in our religion. True religion in Christ includes not only just hearing about, not only just knowledge about it, but it's about doing, including bridling our tongue, including loving on orphans and widows, and including being unstained Uh, pursuing unpolluted by the world. And then today we're building on that. That's the foundation. We're continuing off of that in the reality and it's being his people in our impartiality, in our impartiality. And I wanna tell you, friends, God's got a word today and some people think that the Bible is irrelevant. Um, Here we go. Bibles of James chapter two, I trust they are there. I wanna just give you the plan on where we're going with this text today. We're going through verses one through 13 in James chapter two. And we're gonna begin with uh, hearing a stated call. 
James gives a stated call. That's so often what we've seen in chapter one. He states something, and then he builds off of that. And so we're going to see it stated. Then we're going to see it illustrated, verses two through four. And then from that, we're going to see it explained a little bit more. Stated, illustrated, explained. And then lastly, we'll touch on where he talks in verses 12 through 13 about it being implemented. That continues the theme of James. Don't just be hearers, but be doers as well. So that's where we're going. And I want for you to understand this. I am grabbing the high fruit of the text today. I'm telling you, James has so many things that we could dive into, we could work into, we could talk out. I just don't have the time this morning to go into all, of, particularly what's going on in our world with it. But I'm grabbing the high fruit of the, the text, and I'm doing that to set the table for you. I, I assume and I expect that you will take from today and you will dive in more, whether that's you alone, whether that's you as a, a couple or with friends or in your small group, that you will do that. I'm setting the table of the text so that you can even go further from there with it. Okay, got the idea? Let's head it up. Let's do this. Let's ask for God's help as we dive in. So God, we need your help. We ask for your help. We are dependent upon your help. And we are here at your feet to hear from you. So give us wisdom. In James chapter one, you said to ask for wisdom to understand. And so God, we do that. Would you give us wisdom here in our time together? Give us learners' hearts. Give us understanding hearts. Give us soft hearts to hear what you have to say. So we lay that before you. and We know you're gonna do a work and we're excited about it. In Christ's name, amen. So let's begin. A stated call. A stated call, and let me read verse 1 of James chapter 2. My brothers, my brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Um, <laughs> what's James saying? It's actually pretty simple. It's really pretty simple. I'm, I'm going to pull it in four words. God's people... No partiality. And I say that with a sense of in, in, intenseness because it's an emphatic. And in fact, it's a really interesting sentence because in the original language, uh, the word for no is at the very beginning of the sentence. And oftentimes in Greek, the word is, sometimes words are used sometimes early in the sentence to add emphasis. And so the word no is at the beginning of the sentence. And then the word for holding is right attached to it. They're both at the beginning. So it's kind of this no holding and it's emphatic, no holding what? It's carrying out this idea. If, if I were to translate, I would go it this way. My brothers and sisters, you must not be holding to the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, by the way, that implies the understanding that you are, okay? We must not be holding to the faith of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ while at the same time committing acts of partiality. Partiality and walking with the Lord do not mix. They do not go together. They are not supposed to be there. God's people who claim to be holding on to Christ while at the same time committing acts of partiality do not coincide. God says no. That's not to be happening. God's people know partiality. Partiality, what's it mean? 
I love this. Uh, if you're taking notes or writing it down, put it in your Bible, put it on a notepad. Partiality here in the original language carries this idea of receiving the face of. How perfect is that? It's the idea of receiving the face of someone. It's making judgment through external factors. It's a judging by outside factors. It's distinctive-based favoritism. It's seeing a created in the image of God human being and then in some manner or form putting them in a preferred rank or in some preferred order. And I want for us to note this, that verse one, this opening sentence here, is, is very universal. In other words, we're about to go to illustration here in just a, a moment, and the illustration is not an illustration to narrow the call. The illustration is to put some skin, some practicality to the call. But when you read verse one, it is a universal, very broad call in it. And for James, which we understand, we are reading the word of God, God penning his truth to us through James here, we would understand God is saying, hey, my people, no partiality. If you claim to be holding faith to me, no partiality. You must be impartial receivers of faces. And by the way, James is not suggesting this. James is not uh, uh, giving the idea of if it's convenient for you, when it's convenient for you. He's not saying if you think this matches with what you think. He's not saying that. He's not saying anything like that. He's saying it as a state of directive. You must. Reminder in chapter one, James was driving home the key ideas of Summarizes the first chapter of James in two words, uh, uh, persevering and progressing. And he's drafting off of chapter one here and beginning to build an increasing understanding of what it looks like to be God's people that are persevering and progressing in Christ. And it's this, God's people, you must be persevering and you must be progressing in being a no partial people. By the way, Biblical impartiality does not mean setting aside biblical truth. Biblical impartiality does not mean distancing from your faith in Christ in order to be able to be impartial. It's not that. Here in verse 1, he's saying, as you are holding to the faith, there must be no partial receiving of the face of others. Biblical impartiality does not mean disassociate your faith in Christ in your receiving of. It is not that. It does not mean you must agree with or condone untruth. It doesn't say that. It doesn't mean that you excuse away or you cave on biblical truth or you cave on your faith in Christ or you hide it because it's not, uh, you know, whatever. It's not that. It's saying as you are standing bold in Christ, loving people, loving the Lord, you are to be impartial in that. By the way, when I think about that, like a great example of that might be um, Jesus. I mean, like, let's think about this for a moment with Jesus. If I remember correctly, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us that Jesus loved on a lot of people. 
and a lot of people in a lot of different places. By the way, here's some that I've included, including him receiving on and loving on tax collectors and prostitutes and outcasts and thieves and the hurting and the helpless and children and widows and orphans and the handicapped and deniers of Christ and haters in Christ and the stuck-up religious ones. Those who used him. Those who were not as smart as him. Which was like everybody. Right? He, he was even with liars. We could summarize it this way. Jesus hung around sinners. And Jesus never caved on who he was, hid who he was, tried to make it more palatable who he was, like playing some kind of salesman game with people. But he was also very loving and gracious and kind and receiving. He was impartial. Agreed? Like, agreed? Yeah. I mean, talking about setting the standard, there we go. The impartiality that James is talking about is the impartiality that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, lived. Like that, James would be saying. So let me ask, does impartial receiving of the face of others describe you? Not the person next to you, but I'm talking to you. Let me put some skin to that. Let's begin with the current relevant item of race and ethnicity. Do you impartially receive the face of the black person and the brown person and the yellow person? And let me also add the white person impartially would those around you confirm that you speak and act behind the reality out front that impartial? Yet verse 1 is more universal than simply even the modern day conversation of skin color. It's people of different backgrounds. Are you impartial to people of different backgrounds or do you always have to be around or do you favor people who are just like you? the same age as you, the same stage as you? Are you impartial with people who have different sin struggles? Like the addicted or the person with same-sex attraction or the person gender struggling or the greedy or the proud or the bitter what about with the woman who's had an abortion? What about with the incarcerated? Does impartiality fit in your mind when you come across and have the opportunity to relate with and interact with and be around an atheist or an agnostic or a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or a Hindu or a Muslim or a Sikh? What about, does impartiality fall upon you when you're around, oh, like a Republican 
or a Democrat or a socialist? Or you fill in the blank. What about the mask wearer or the anti-mask wearer? What about the opposite sex? What about with the married or the single or the divorced person or the widow or the orphan or the single parent? What about with the production worker versus the white-collar supervisor? What about with a business owner versus a union worker versus a homemaker versus the person that's unemployed? What about with the disabled? What about if the person works at Eli Lilly or if the person works at Jiffy Lube? Or if the person works at Walmart or the person works at Rolls Royce or Amazon or McDonald's? What about the family that public schools or homeschools? What about the college graduate versus the no graduate? What about the poor versus the rich? Hey, friends, this is so much more universal than we tend to want to narrow it in on. God's people know partiality. Again, this impartiality is not a call to cave on biblical truth, and it's not a call to water down the gospel. So what is it? James is like, got you covered there, because I just stated it, now let me illustrate it. Here we go, verses two through four, illustration. For example, i just toss that in there because that's the idea of it. For example, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the bling and you say, oh, sit here in this good place, while you say to the poor man, ah, you sit over there or, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Friends, this is serious. And frankly, we could get in the whole conversation. Is he talking about specifically, is his illustration specifically, the, the assembling together of, 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 of Messianic Jews in that day and the locations where they're at and the assembling of? Or is it kind of like out of Leviticus or in some settings, is it more like a Christian judicial system that's going on and bringing some ruling on it? Or is, it, is this a, between Christian and Christian or is this Christian and non-Christian? Frankly, I think this is an interesting conversation to have, but frankly, when it really comes down to it, it doesn't matter. Because the call is God's people, no partiality, right? So, so let, let's understand it. Here's the illustration. Let's sum it this way. You sit here, and you sit here. Right, that's what he's saying. So the, 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 the rich man comes in. He's all blinked out. And he's just wearing what he might normally wear. He has the, the funds to be able to afford a certain level of clothing. And he comes in, and then the poor man enters. And the person who is receiving the face of, 
not just the face, but the whole, the external reality of the situation is in their mind. Listen, this is where it's all happening, friends. In their mind, they're making a processing. Oh, the rich, the wealthy, the influential. Oh man, I've got a lazy boy over here in a perfect spot that just fits your body perfect. Put it down here. And then the poor dude comes in. By the way, understand this. James in the text um, this is a really hard text to kind of contextualize, if I can use that word, uh, because uh, poor in our day is actually quite different than poor in that day. I think James is really re- making reference here to destitute poor, which was frankly most of his readers in that day, most of his listeners in that day. I don't think we have so much in particular where we live. I don't think we have so much of destitute poor, but that's not really the factor in it. But he's giving this idea, just so you understand the illustration, if you're reading it as the original reader, then the destitute poor person comes in that probably has one set of clothes and that's it. And that usually means they ain't smelling so great. They ain't looking so great, dressed so great, blinged out so great, and then over here, smelling good, looking good, and over here, oh. And in fact, in the text, it carries this idea of, uh, you sit over there, it carries this idea of, you sit next to the stool at my feet. I mean, it's not just you sit on the stool where I put my feet. It's you sit next to, the stu- next to the stool that I put my foot on. I'm telling you, James is piling the understanding on here with what's going on. Werner uh, summarizes it some of this way. I don't have it on the screen. Just kind of listen a couple things. He says, God has chosen those that are poor by the world's standard to become rich heirs in the kingdom, inheritors of a kingdom not passed by the normal channels of inheritance destitute poor, an heir of a kingdom. Hey, that only happens in a Hallmark movie, right? I mean, that picture of it where it's like, oh, I'm poor, and then all the way up. Then yet that's the picture that's going on here. He also comments, he says, the rich usually, and friend, particularly in that day, the rich usually dishonor the poor and often oppress them, and that by doing so, they ironically dishonor the name that is honored by the Lord. Let me, a couple passages come to mind. Luke 6.20, Jesus in Luke 6.20 says this, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus said that. Also then, Mary's song in Luke 1, He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Another commentator comments from 1 Corinthians 1 saying this, God delights especially to shower his grace on those the world has discarded and on those who are most keenly aware of their own inadequacy. And James calls on the church to embody a similar ethic of special concern for the poor and the helpless. I want for you to understand, James is not teaching something that is, uh, in our day and age, is called liberation theology. Liberation theology kind of holds the theological view saying that God has chosen only the poor for salvation, not the rich. That's not what's being said here. This is an illustration, okay? That's not what's being said. James is also not trying to pit the poor versus the rich or the rich versus the poor. He's not also trying to state that wealth is evil. That's not the point. 
Instead, James is explaining that partiality violates how our triune God sees not only the poor, but if I can say it, people created in the image of God, people. Saved or unsaved, rich or poor, God's people, no partiality. No partiality. Partiality violates the view of God. Explanation two, partiality violates the law of God. Look at verse eight through 11 with me. If you really fulfill the royal law, the use of the word law is again and again, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it all. For he who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery and do, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. We could spend our entire time in that, but we don't have the time. I'm grabbing the high fruit of it, grabbing the main theme of it, the movement of it. But let me just point out this. Look in verse 8. You see royal law, the royal law according to Scripture. Verse 9, convicted by the law of transgressors. And then you see the end of verse 9, keep the whole law. Then the end of verse 11, transgressors of the law. Listen, James is helping us to further understand this idea of breaking one law incurs the guilt of the whole law. Well, let me try and illustrate it this way. Let's just say uh, you're a kid and, and you're kind of on, uh, on a day to where you're, you're like next to a house and it's uh, abandoned and you've got like a whole bunch of rocks on the ground. And so you pick up like 20 rocks and you throw and you throw them all and all 20 of them hit a window. What? is the verdict upon you. The verdict upon you is that you are the one that broke the window, right? Now, let's just say uh, you're another person. You come and you grab just one rock and you wing the one rock at the window and it breaks. What is the verdict upon you? The same. You broke the window. And so James here is, is kind of bouncing off of out of Matthew 22. The Pharisee uh, comes to Jesus, as we're told there, a teacher, what is the greatest commandment of the law? Uh, you probably know it. Jesus says to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And by the way, he can't leave it there. It's essentially love God entirely, but I can't leave it there alone because it also includes loving others, loving your neighbor, which by the way is not just a believer in Christ. It's a created in the image of God human being. It's loving God entirely and loving others fully. And Jesus says, it's on those two commands depend all the law and the prophets. Church, partiality, favoritism, discrimination, whether it be by skin color, whether it be by economics, whether it be by whatever kind it is, number one, it violates the view of God and how God sees people. Number two, it violates the law of God and what God has said. As you are holding to faith in Christ, you must be increasingly persevering and progressing in your receiving of the faith, face of others impartially. That should be 
who we are. Stated, illustrated, explained, lastly implemented. Let me read verses 12 to 13. So speak and so act. That is so James. James is like, okay, I put it on the table, I stated it, I illustrated it, I explained it, now here's the deal. Get after it. Be doers. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Verse 12, literally kind of this idea of so speak in such a manner and so act in such a manner as those who are about to be judged by the law of liberty. Person of Christ, if you have come to the place in your life where you've understood that you are a sinner separated from God because of the fact that you have sinned, Romans 3.23, we could just go all over the place, all have sinned. If you've come to the place realizing that, that that brings separation, Ephesians chapter two, Romans six, out of that, that there is a need for forgiveness of your sins and you cannot earn it. You cannot get yourself out of the peck of the pile of having broken God's window again and again and again and again. But when you come to the place to realize Jesus came in my place to do for me what I could not do for myself and you drive the stake in the ground and you receive Christ as your savior, know this, you in that moment have gone from being judged and condemned to being judged by the law of liberty. One day that will happen. We're talking about the law of the Old Testament understood through Christ's fulfillment of it and his imposing of it onto his followers. The law of liberty, the law of the Old Testament understood through Christ's fulfillment of it and is imposing it onto his followers. Followers, redeemed in Christ, you have received incomprehensible mercy. And one day, You will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and it will be fulfilled in its ultimate and eternal reality of incomprehensible mercy. Through Jesus Christ, your sins have been mercifully covered. Your guilt has been mercifully removed. Your standing of being separated from God has been mercifully replaced by Ephesians 2 and seated with Christ. And James is reminding God's people that each will undergo a future judgment that will take place before Christ where the reality will be mercy triumphs over judgment. I mean, imagine that. You're in Revelation 1. John, who knew Jesus, uh, the disciple John, knew Jesus. He falls down thinking he's going to die. The day when it comes, when we stand before Christ, there will be a banner over his head because at first we're just going to fall down. But then there's a banner overhead. (laughs) Mercy triumphs. And it is in knowing that 
that it is asked, how in the world can mercy-receiving people not be mercy-extending people? How in God's name can mercy, incomprehensible, mercy-receiving people not give incomprehensible mercy extended. Saved, unsaved, they are created in the image of God, human beings, God's people. No partiality. And I've just got about two more paragraphs to say, but I'm going to ask the worship team to come because they're going to help us close our time out. So if they would go ahead and come at this time. Friends, I fear that God's people are being influenced and driven more by culture and cultural movements than by scripture itself. Nearly 2,000 years ago, this was penned from the Lord, calling God's people to be a people of no favoritism, and that we could even add the Old Testament directives towards that. God's people must not be a partiality people. God's people must not be a favoritism people. Scripture is to wake us, not our world. Have God's people struggled with impartiality over the decades and centuries? Oh my, yes. And by the way, the very fact that James is writing this as the illustration and giving this stated call to messianic Jewish believers tells them that they struggled with it to then. But that's not God's fault for not having told us or informed us. It's our fault. It's our fault for not seriously seeking to be this. Loved ones, we don't need modern day slogans or movements to drive us. We have God's word. And we have the spirit of God. We should be this. Are you? Are we? God stated it. We need to be it. Biblical impartiality implemented is grounded in our knowing the mercy that we've received. Mercy extended, James is essentially saying. Mercy extended is evidence of mercy received. Mercy extended is evidence of mercy received. And for the person who can't extend mercy, goodness, friends, we live in a merciless world. Have you noticed? We should be the light of beacon of mercy extended to people. 
not caving the faith, not watering down the gospel like is so often done, but bold, loving, like Jesus. Like Jesus. Hey, friends, let's drop the rock. Drop the rock. And let's be God's people, increasingly progressing as an impartial people.